right. Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome to Sharing Everything. Thank you. The only show where I'm Joe Balecki <laughs> and uh, she's Katie Balecki. Yep. Almost called you by your maiden name. That is not me any longer. Uh, and that's because we're married. Yes. To each other, even. And we like making each other watch movies that we respectively like. Yes. Uh, Katie, what masterpiece of cinema have I shared with you today? We watched Mulholland Drive. Okay. What was that movie about? Hell if I know. All right. Okay. So, I can attempt to give you a bit of a little synopsis or something. Please do. Okay. Just Yeah, brief. It's a, it's a long movie and it's confusing. Yeah. Okay. So at the beginning of the movie, this woman is involved in a car accident. She gets amnesia. She stumbles into a random apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, she stays there. And then we see um, a Canadian girl who's coming to Los Angeles to become an actress. She comes to move into that apartment for a while because it's her aunt's apartment. Mm -hmm. And she's staying there and she sees this person. Um, She doesn't know who she is. Her aunt didn't say anybody's staying here. Um, The woman says that her name is Rita. She says that she's been in an accident, that she doesn't know who she is really. She doesn't know what happened. She doesn't know how she got there. She doesn't really know anything. Um, The other girl who is supposed to be there her name is betty um she is in town for a big audition um let's see then we cut to this weird diner scene of two guys one of the guys is telling about one of his nightmares and then they see like a nightmare dude at the end of that scene presumably the man he saw in his nightmare yeah considering is how he faints from fright Mm -hmm. Um, and then we meet a film director, um, played by Justin Thoreau, who is Jennifer Aniston's beau, which was really weird when I, uh, made that connection. Um, he is trying to get his newest film cast, and there's some shady dude slash organization of dudes telling him that he needs to cast this specific actress or else the movie won't get made. Actually, no, they kind of say cast this girl in the movie or else, like, you die or something right wasn't it like super ominous kind of it was pretty ominous i don't remember exactly what the stakes were basically they said you have to cast this lady um okay so then we sort of cut back and forth between betty and rita trying to figure out who rita is what she's doing there and we see we have scenes with the director guy one of them he goes home and finds out that his wife is cheating on him with billy ray cyrus although he's not billy ray cyrus i think he's the pool boy he's not playing himself he was like the cleaner or yeah something. um then there's a scene where the director guy finds out that all of his money is gone um and so he goes to some like dude ranch or something and talks to this cowboy who is very strange mm-hmm. uh um then rita and betty do some more investigating they go to they for some reason rita comes up with the name diane selwyn so she thinks that's her at first and then they track down where diane selwyn lives 
I go to that apartment. Somebody's there, but it's not her because it's not Rita and it's not anybody she knows. Then she finds out that this lady switched apartments with Diane, so they go to Diane's new apartment. They walk in and she's dead. She is dead. Um, let's see. And then, oh, but that's after. No, that is before. No, that's after. Uh, Betty goes to her audition. Like a really creepy scene with some old leathery orange Cheeto kind of reminiscent of Donald Trump, but kind of also grosser in a way. Oh, uh, the old actor guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they have a scene together, and then the casting director takes her across to another set where the director, whose wife cheated on him, what's his name? The director? Kesher or something? Uh, Adam Kesher? On. I think it's Adam. Hold on. Wait a minute. Let me put some... Justin Thoreau played Adam. Yeah, Adam. Uh, he is having his... He's doing, I think, like, test scenes or something. Yeah, well, he's auditioning the girls. Yep. And some, like, really cool, like, 1950s, like, music thing. And mm-hmm. I was super into that. I wanted to see more of that. Um, then, Betty and Rita, mm-hmm. um, they go, well, they have sex, which was weird. They did have sex. Uh, and then Rita is freaking out, and she says, just go somewhere with me. So, they go to this weird, like performance venue or something and there's like some magician guy saying hi it's all a recording and then oh yeah they go see the 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 stage play thing that's right yep and then this woman is singing in spanish it's called llorando which means crying uh and then betty and rita start crying and then yeah i didn't get that at uh all the more you know um basically the entire song she just kept saying crying i'm crying for you you're crying for me crying 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 oh okay um and then we see the box which matches the key that uh rita found in her found in her purse when they're trying to figure out who she was yeah um Okay, so I'm going to admit that this is where things started getting really loopy for this me. Is, this is where things get a little weird. So they... This is where they get a little extra David Lynch. They put the key in the box, mm-hmm. and then you're sort of, like, twisted into what seems like some sort of, like, parallel dimension or universe or something. Oh, okay. And you've got Diane and... Not Diane. Well, yeah, Diane. You've yeah. got Rita and Betty. Mm-hmm. Who are actually Diane Selwyn and an act? Well, so who Betty is an is actress? Diane. And um, Rita is Camilla, Camilla, who is also an actress. They are actresses in a movie that Adam is making, mm-hmm. and Camilla and Adam are having some sort of relationship. And it seems like Diane is not cool with that because she likes Camilla. Well, Camilla and 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 Diane. Yeah, they were doing were it at the end of a relationship. Yeah. <sighs> okay, and then, and then the old people come back um, from the beginning. Yeah, did you even mention? I didn't them? mention the old people. There when were some old people at the beginning, and now they're back at the they're end. They're back, and then the nightmare guy is back um, from the diner scene, mm-hmm. and the end. <laughs> well, they they the 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 nightmare man releases the old people out of a paper bag which also has the box in it Mm -hmm. 
And Betty has a different key. She has a blue key also, but it's more key shaped. Mm-hmm. So just remember that. Okay. It's something, maybe. Okay. Um, and so the old people get into her house and they start like terrorizing her and there's lots of lightning and he, she starts saying, Silencio. And then she like falls asleep on the bed. And then the movie ends. Uh, other things that are interesting to mention is in that diner, mm-hmm. they see Betty and Rita. They do? Betty and Rita in the diner scene, they see um, their waitress. Her name is Diane. Oh, yeah. I saw that. And then once they become Diane and Camilla. Their name switch. Um, yeah. The, the, the diner, waitress the Betty. waitress is now Betty. Mm-hmm. So there's like this sort of like full circle thing that's happening and people are like going out of phase with each other. Yeah. Um, so how would you like the movie? Uh, f- for some reason, I enjoyed it. Like, good. Yeah. Oh, it's a good movie. I mean. So this is on the heels of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, I liked it for actually like. For, like, the first, like, hour, maybe, like, hour and 15 minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. like, I was with it. I was like, yeah, I understand this. this is, it's a little strange, but I get it. Mm-hmm. And then I understood nothing, and I'm just kind of watching it like, what the heck is happening? And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. So, her, she, she's, so Betty is, is Diane yeah. now. It was, um, but it was kind of strange because at the same time, I felt like I didn't need to figure it all out. Um... And maybe if I had thought, like, because you had sort of prefaced it with, it doesn't make sense. Just just watch it. Yeah, don't worry about it. So It'll that's kind of what I tried to do. Um, and I think it probably helped me enjoy it more because usually I'm very much a cohesive story person, but this very much did not have all of the elements needed for it to be a cohesive story. Um, but it was interesting. Yes. So there are certain there's there's like there's different types of movies I like. Mm-hmm. There's movies like Unforgiven where the plot is very structured and makes an awful lot of sense, but there's not a lot of exposition and everything's subtle. So you just have to pay attention to every character and what they say and who they are and what their relation is to each other so that you understand why everyone is doing what they're doing. Yep. And then there's movies like Mahalan Drive where you just feel it. You know, mm-hmm. you just feel the movie, and then it's done, and if the movie sticks with you into the next couple of days, you know it was a good movie. And or a really terrible movie. And if you forget everything about the movie, then it was a bad movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, that—that that is how I judge art movies, like art house experimental films. As If I keep thinking about it, even if I'm thinking about it negatively, it was a good movie. And if I forget everything about it, and I don't remember what the heck happened or why, then it was a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it would be fun to say, because uh, we did this with, not on the show, but we just we just rated something. Oh, it was we watched Zoolander two. Yeah. <laughs> and and you said sorry. You, you said um, guess how many stars it has in imdb and guess mm-hmm. what the meta score is and mm-hmm. i was actually low right no i was i was high on the stars mm-hmm. i was low on the meta score you were so i underestimated everybody yes <laughs> <laughs> um so how many stars out of 10 on imdb do you guess this movie has as of uh 2017 28 february <laughs> uh 
I'm going to guess like 7.8. You're close. Yeah. With 2000 or 249,748 ratings, it has a solid 8.0 out of 10. Nice. Now, what do you believe the meta score is of the people who get paid to critique things? 62. Wrong. Really? You're off by a lot. Do you really? want to do you want to guess again? Was I too high or too low? I'm going to guess. I'm going to go low now. I'm going to say 30. No, you're getting colder. Really? Yes. What what one, is the one more part? guess? Is higher than 62. 84. 81. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Um the Los Angeles Times says likely as not these things mean nothing in a conventional plot sense but as powerful images as pictures form a from a dreamlike world they are unforgettable and that david lynch would probably say is exactly the point yeah and that was all of the the ratings the lowest one that we got is a 60 from the wall street journal (laughs) that says watching the surrealist silliness i would have welcomed the sight of a geezer on a riding mower which is a reference to the straight story Mm. which he made i think just before this okay um so yeah so fun fact about this movie which may or may not affect how you see it mm-hmm. is that it was originally a 90 minute pilot for a tv show what called the holland drive what and i can't remember it's in the david lynch book i have mm-hmm. which is how much of a david lynch nerd i am <laughs> i think i bought you that book it's very possible <laughs> for for a birthday I, ha- I did have a very david lynch heavy birthday one year mm-hmm. um that essentially the pilot didn't get made, but everyone said it was like really good. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, why don't you just make this into a movie? And he's like, okay. So he added another hour onto it, and now it's a movie. Which might explain certain things about this movie. Perhaps. But the cool thing is, I think, is that like. So I know a lot of people, especially I feel like most people these days with how much people like to extrapolate on things and never leave anything alone. um, I can imagine a lot of people would be like, oh, let's try to figure out based on the movie what this TV show would have been like Mm -hmm. over the course of 10 episodes. Um, But I kind of like the idea that David Lynch was like, "Okay, well, a lot of these loose ends I was going to tie up over the course of 17 episodes or whatever. They're just going to be loose ends now. Mm-hmm. And like he is totally okay with that. Like David Lynch is 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 this sort of surrealist artist who is very different, I think, than your run of the mill like weird guy experimental filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Where those people are like, um, like you see this with Salvador Dali. Like you could buy art theory books about Salvador Dali, and they're like, oh. Salvador Dali has a lot of images in his paintings of women with drawers coming out of them Mm -hmm. because he finds women as mysterious. And he's got lots of things that are on fire, which represents this and derp, 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 derp. Like, there's this very, like, decoded, Mm -hmm. like, we know these set of symbols that Dali had and we know what they mean. So we can interpret this painting as Mm -hmm. whereas David Lynch is like, stop. (laughs) <laughs> don't do that 
Only I know what it means. And even not all the time. There, there are a lot of interviews of his um, that are filmed from ar- around the time a Holland Drive came out, or like around the time his last movie came out which was a couple years after Mulholland Drive where people were asking him about interpreting movies and and stuff like that and he often he always says the film is the thing like done the film is the thing Mm -hmm. that's that's it the film is what I wanted to show you if I had wanted you to think about war or religion or whatever I would have put that in the movie I made this movie you watched it you're you're done the film is the thing, you know, and he, he says things like you can read a wonderful book written by some author, but if the author is dead, you can't ask him what it means. You just have the book. Mm-hmm. And that's what my movies are. So don't ask me what it's about. Watch the film. If you don't get it, watch the film again mm-hmm. until you get it. Um, and so the guy who was interviewing him in this one particular interview is like, well, to me, Mulholland Drive is a ghost story. And he says, okay, then for you, it's a ghost story. Yeah. Maybe not for him and maybe not for Jane or Betty or Jim, but mm-hmm. for this guy, it's a ghost story. And that's fine. You know, um, there's a lot of YouTube videos that are like, the ending of Birdman explained. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why do you need to explain the end? He went out the window and then he either fell to the ground or he went up. Yeah. And you just decide, based on Emma Stone's reaction, what happened. And then you're done. Mm-hmm. You know, if the filmmaker, if Alejandro Iñárritu wanted you to know... If he fell to the ground or flew up in the sky, he would have showed you. Yeah, I agree that people want, like, solid endings, like, concrete endings. Because I think it's because life is so full of uncertainties Mm -hmm. that we enjoy media that gives us something certain. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why people always want to know what something means. Yeah. And so that's why, to me, the movies that are like those arty kind of surreal movies, those are the ones that, like, you get a very specific type of person who enjoys that. <laughs> yeah, you get you get the type of person who's okay with the fact that you live and you die and then you're done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you shut off forever and your legacy eventually disappears because you didn't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things and then you're done. <laughs> Katie's sad now. Um, uh, but in, in in that same interview that I was talking about, the guy even says, well, okay, just tell me this one thing. What is that key? And David Lynch just goes, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's, that, that's very well could have been a thing that he would have answered later on mm-hmm. in, in, the, um, in the TV show. Yeah. Like, if it had been a TV show, maybe he would have explained what, what the heck the key is. Maybe not. Um, David Lynch is this very cool guy because he doesn't necessarily set out to be experimental or arty. Mm-hmm. He just has ideas and he follows them. And he's very, um, he's like not self-conscious. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't stop himself and say, well, that idea is weird or why am I doing this? People are going to want to know. He just says, oh, I like the idea. Mm-hmm. Like for Blue Velvet, which I've seen and you haven't seen, I don't think. No, I haven't. Um, he said... His idea for it was like 
1950s picket fences and and stuff like that the song blue velvet in the image of an ear in a field like (laughs) those were the ideas he had and then he wrote a movie Mm -hmm. just based on that he just like he just got other ideas and i really like that about him that he doesn't like start with a thing and say okay so i need to explain that thing and then I'll explain the thing leading up to that and leading up to that. And then, okay, so I have the first half of the movie. So I'll explain after the mm-hmm. year and then after that and then after that and then after that. He just says, oh, wouldn't it be cool if... Mm-hmm. And then he tries it. And then if he likes it, he keeps it in. And so you get a lot of his movies that are so sort of like weirdly scatterbrained. Like Mulholland Drive is really weirdly scatterbrained. Mm-hmm. You have like these weird mob people. Mm-hmm. You have the storyline of the girls you have the director you have that guy who stole the director's black book and then murdered oh the other i completely guy. forgot about and that you, get, you got that whole scene mm-hmm. and then you have the two guys in the diner and all these people are connected but unconnected mm-hmm. you know um like in any other movie those two guys in the diner at the beginning of the movie would have had to show up somewhere else and would have had to be explained yeah But David Lynch just puts you in a place and he says, okay, in this diner today, there's these two guys. And in this diner tomorrow, those are main characters. And in our diner the next day, there's this prostitute and these other two guys. Mm -hmm. And in our diner tomorrow, it's our two main characters, but they're different people now. And that's fine. And then in the, (laughs) you know, like there's something so freeing about that. And he doesn't even do it like as an aggressive statement. You know, mm-hmm. he's not like, oh, yeah, F you, Hollywood. I'm going to turn your conventions on its head. It's so pure. Yeah. It's so just, I'm making movies exactly the way I want to make them. And even when people say that normally, there's that, like, air of aggression. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't need the big studio systems to tell me how to make my movies. I'm going to make movies the way I want to make them. Because, like, David Lynch did go through big studios. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not an indie filmmaker. Mm-mm. He all of his movies have been big budget movies, and he's just like, no, I'm just gonna make the movies I want to make. Like with Dune, Dune ended up really bad because he didn't get final cut. Like he wanted the movie to be five hours long and mm-hmm. and crazy, and he didn't get final cut. And he's just like, oh yeah, I was disappointed with that, and I decided that from now on I'm gonna get final cut. Like he he went through Hollywood sort of the conventional way, and just did things the way that they made sense to him. And he's just such a different guy Mm -hmm. he thinks so differently from the rest of us that he ended up making a handful of movies that are if not very good incredibly inspiring and different Mm -hmm. and i think that that's awesome yeah what do you have to say about anything (laughs) so you've been around david lynch a lot i have from from me Mm -hmm. so so what do you feel about the guy you've listened to his albums Mm -hmm. you've you've watched his tv show one of his tv shows he has more than one. He has another TV What's show. What's the other one? It's this weird, like, screwball comedy that takes place in the 50s in a TV station, and it's hard I want, to I want to watch it. It's, oh, it's something. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I've seen Twin Peaks. I've seen Firewalk with me. I've mm-hmm. seen Mulholland Drive. I've seen, uh, what's the one with the house? Um, the other one. Lost Highway? Yeah. Is there a house on that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, and you've seen Eraserhead. Oh my God! Yeah, that is solidly the bottom of my list. <laughs> is Eraserhead. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed Twin Peaks. I think that's probably the most accessible of his works. Um, 
Probably because even though that one was loopy crazy starting season two, basically, like season one was pretty, pretty standard uh, or season one. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like it sort of eased you into the wacky, yeah. which I think is part of what throws me off with a lot of his other stuff is that it just sort of like dumps you in the deep end, um, which is fine, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily my favorite way to watch a movie i prefer to have it sort of build into something instead of kabam now here's everything else (laughs) yeah um but yeah i really i really can appreciate his artistic abilities and you know integrity of doing exactly what he wants to do for no other reason besides he just wants to do it Mm -hmm. um i think that's really cool that's really inspiring too um yeah, I'm trying to like think of what is that noise? It's our dryer. Oh, it's like what is in our house right now? Um, it did sound like a cat was playing with wrapping paper. Somewhere. It really did. Um, and we don't have a cat. That would be really. And creepy. all our wrapping papers in here. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So. Yeah, it's um. He's a little too out there for me to enjoy on a regular basis. But when I watch these things with you and I see why you like them, it makes me pay a little bit more attention. It makes me sort of say, yeah, I can appreciate this. But it's not he's not in my top favorite directors or anything like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, Um, that's a very good description of how different we are. (laughs) <laughs> is 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 our enjoyment of Eraserhead. Oh my god. It would be fair to say that Eraserhead is your least favorite movie that you've ever seen. It's definitely up there. <laughs> and Eraserhead is one of my very favorite movies mm-hmm. that I have ever seen. Yeah. And yet we're married. Yeah. Fairly happily. Even. Fairly. 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 Verily. Um Yeah. So, do you want to get into some trivia? Sure. All right. Because I, I could spend another 45 minutes talking about how much I love David Lynch and how much of an inspiration he is, but I think I've, I've made myself mm-hmm. abundantly clear. All right. On the way to audition for her part as Camilla Rhodes and or Rita, Laura Herring was in a minor car accident. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> like in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebecca Del Rio, the club singer at Silencio, first met David Lynch when a talent agent took her on a whim to a recording studio where Lynch happened to be and asked her to sing a song for him. She performed an impromptu version of Lorando, which also... Yorando. There's else. Yorando? Yorando. Yorando? Which also, on a whim, and without her knowledge, was being taped by the audio engineer. Years later, Lynch decided to incorporate the song into Mulholland Drive, except for a few minor tweaks. This is the exact same recording used in the movie. So that's that's kind of like, this is what David Lynch does, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's just like, oh, let's do that. Yeah. And then years later, he's like, oh, I remember that thing. Mm-hmm. Let's use that. Um, he's, he's very much just the idea that's just like... Oh, that's 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 like let's just do this thing. Like mm-hmm. he's 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 uh there's that that quote that my dad always quotes from Throw Mama from the Train 
where the writing teacher says, a writer writes always. Mm-hmm. And David Lynch is very much the artist version of that. The artist, he's the artist who is arting just always. <laughs> he just does stuff all yeah. the time. He's got so many paintings and mm-hmm. anyway. Oh, soon at, at our local art gallery mm-hmm. museum place is the new documentary about him playing. We oh, should, I didn't know there we was We should one. go see that. Yeah, it's called The Art Life. And apparently all he does all day is he wakes up and he paints for eight hours and then he goes to bed. And, like, somewhere in there, he drinks coffee and smokes cigarettes. Huh. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't like cooking food, either. He doesn't make food because he doesn't like the way that it smells up his house. Is he married? Not anymore. He huh. was married, like, three times. And this most recent marriage, he broke up with her because she cooked too much. Oh, my God. He was just like, I can't be in my house anymore because it smells like food all the time and I can't concentrate on my work. Is that why you're going to divorce me? Because I make you food all the time? My nose is not nearly sensitive (laughs) enough. And no, without you, I would have starved to death by now. (laughs) Adam Kesher smashing the producer's car windshield within with a golf club is a reference to the famous 1994 incident where Jack Nicholson did the same. Nicholson's nickname is Maholland Man. Hmm. The set of reels that was distributed to the movie theaters included a computer-written photocopied note from David Lynch himself giving special instructions to the projectionists worldwide. Specifically, he didn't want the movie to be centered vertically on the screen, but rather to allow more overhead as the term in projectionist slang. That is, to let the top part of the frame be more visible than the bottom part. This is because the film was originally made for TV with an aspect ratio of 16 by 9 in mind. Without the projectionist's manual correction, the aspect ratio of the theatrical release, 1.85 to 1, would have resulted in heads being cut off at the top of the silver screen. Lynch also asked to raise the volume of the theater sound system by two decibels while the film was playing. The note ended with the words, your friend, David Lynch. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, he's also one of those guys who, who for a long time was like, um, there's a couple videos of him talking about people watching films on their like iPhones, like when iPhones started getting new and streaming mm-hmm. video on your iPhones, and he was like mad. <laughs> he was like, "Don't even watch the movie if you're gonna watch it on your phone. Like that's such an insult to yourself mm-hmm. and everything." Like he he's a big like. There's something magical about going to a theater and being with all the people and the lights go down, and I agree. But like also, brah. Not every movie is as intricate as yours and needs to be seen on a big screen in mm-hmm. order to get everything. Like, I can watch Avengers 2 Age of Explosions on my phone and I'm not going to miss anything. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry, that that movie, I could close my eyes and listen to it and get everything. Um, David Lynch originally wrote the basic idea for the story in the early 1990s as a spinoff of Twin Peaks. The character arc of Betty in the movie was written for Twin Peaks, supporting character Audrey Horn, who would have been the central figure of the proposed spinoff. I could see that. Yeah, I can see that too. They they did act very the same. I wanted to talk about how Betty. It was weird um, because Betty acted like an like a sixteen year old girl yeah, in she Hollywood, really did. and she was definitely played by someone who was like thirty. Mm-hmm. And that's another like weird David Lynch thing is he like cast actors based on their ability and not based on like anything else. Well, I don't know that she was supposed to be. 16 like i figured she was 20s you know just Mm -hmm. she was just very small town canada girl very naive Mm -hmm. sort of thing 
Naomi Watts actually lost her health insurance and faced eviction from her apartment shortly after filming Wrapped. She was ready to quit acting and leave Los Angeles, but close friend Nicole Kidman talked her into staying until the film was released. The cowboy has no eyebrows. This was done to give the character a more subtle, disturbing appearance. I didn't even notice he didn't have eyebrows. I was too busy looking at his weird-looking lips. He was so weird. Yeah. I hope that poor guy does not look like that in real well, life. Well, he probably has eyebrows in, in real life. <laughs> I hope so. Um, David Lynch initially resisted Studio Canal's offer to provide additional funds to complete the Mulholland Drive 1999 TV pilot as a feature film. Lynch's battles with the ABC network executives had left him with a negative feeling about the project, and the director felt he had run out of ideas for the storyline. When Lynch finally agreed to revisit the film, much to his horror, he found that all the sets had been destroyed, and all the costumes and prop had been released by ABC normally, as all sets and props and costumes for a possible TV series are carefully cataloged and stored for future use. Lynch claims that this setback actually proved a blessing in disguise, however, when it finally generated new ideas about how to proceed with filming, and the director was able to come up with a satisfying conclusion to the story. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just another thing about David Lynch, is just his, like, he just solves problems. Mm-hmm. You know? Chosen by Les Cares du Cinéma, uh, which is some sort of French thing, as uh, the best picture of the decade in 2010. So the from, best film of the decade? Yeah. So from 2000 to 2010, this French organization decided that this was the best of all of them. Also, France is weird about their movies. They are. Okay. Blue is the warmest color. Uh, originally filmed in 1999 on a budget of $8 million as a made-for-TV pilot, Mulholland Drive 1999. New scenes were filmed one year later on a $7 million budget given by the French film studio Studio Canal to wrap up the open ending which had been left unresolved in the original version so that a TV series could follow. Unlike the very wrapped up and and clear ending of this film. (laughs) Uh, Let's see... The Region 1 DVD of the movie, which I think is America, mm-hmm. right? North America? Yeah. Does not feature chapters. Attempting to, attempting to skip to the next scene or chapter takes you to the DVD local animation at the very end of the movie, after all the credits and ratings and so forth. Director David Lynch requested this himself, as he has done on previous releases, such as The Straight Story. By allowing the film to be on one chapter, Lynch believes people will be more inclined to view the feature in one sitting, as intended. Robert Zemeckis also used this idea on his Laserdisc release of Forrest Gump. (laughs) Uh, Voted best film of the 21st century by the BBC Culture Poll in 2016. No. Of 177 films included. The mobster who spits out the espresso on a napkin is played by the film's composer, Angelo Badalamenti. Really? Yeah. Okay. Although commonly mistaken for Girl with a Pearl Earring by Jan Vermeer, the painting inside the apartment of Betty's aunt is actually a painting by Guido Reni entitled Beatrice Sensi. I didn't even notice it. Oh, either. I noticed it a lot. Hmm. It's It was like center framed in certain scenes. Like it was really prominent. Ann Miller's last full length movie. Um... 
Director of Trademark, Deep River. Diane is from Deep River, Ontario. Apparently mm-hmm. lots of... I don't know. That's, I guess, thing. This film is included on Roger Ebert's great movies list. <laughs> when Rita and Betty go to Sierra Bonita apartment complex, the name next to number 17 is L.J. DeRosa, a member of the art department of the film. Uh, it's included among the 1001 movies you must see before you die book, which we have. Mm-hmm. Of the 17 tracks featured on the Mulholland Drive CD, only track Diane and Camilla is omitted from the film's soundtrack. Conversely, from the film's soundtrack, the only only track 16 Reasons is omitted from the Mulholland Drive, 16, or Mulholland Drive CD. What? 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 <laughs> I don't know. That didn't make any sense to me. Character Diane Selwyn's last name, possibly intentional, is also the last name of film and theater producer Archibald Selwyn. Selwyn, along with Samuel Goldfish, formed Goldwyn Pictures. Um, mm. And then Samuel Goldfish later changed his last name to Goldwyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the note pinned to Aunt to the robe Aunt Ruth left on the bed for Betty reads, enjoy yourself, Bitsy. Love, Aunt Ruth. <laughs> Bitsy. Oh, David Lynch's 10 clues to unlocking this thriller. I don't know where this came from, but it's in the warning spoiler section. No, so, okay. so let's see. All right. One, pay particular attention in the beginning of the film. At least two clues are revealed before the credits. Clues to what? I don't, I don't know. To unlocking the thriller. Okay. Two, notice appearances of the red lampshade. I did notice that. I did not. Okay. Can you hear the title of the film that Adam Kesher is auditioning the actresses for? Is it mentioned again? What was the title? I don't remember. Hmm. An accident is a terrible event. Notice the location of the accident. That's on Mahal Drive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who gives a key and why? Notice the robe, the ashtray, the coffee cup. What is felt, realized, and gathered at the Club Silencio? Did talent alone help Camilla? Notice the occurrences surrounding the man behind Winkies. And where is Aunt Ruth? So those are his clues to unlocking this film. Huh. Interesting. So do you, I almost feel like we should have those in front of us and watch the film again. Like, not today. <laughs> uh, Naomi Watts found the masturbation scene the most difficult to film. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> to make her feel more comfortable during filming, Lynch had a small tent cover her head so she wouldn't have to see the cast and crew. David Lynch directed and guided Watts through the scene, but refused to cut even when she felt most distressed. He wanted to make the scene as real and raw as possible for the final cut. That was really uncomfortable. Well, and that wasn't the only thing that was raw. Talking about her vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) When she talks to Adam Kesher, or when he talks to Adam Kesher, the cowboy says, you will see me one more time if you do good. You will see me two more times if you do bad. Justin Thoreau said in an interview that since he didn't have the entire script but received the pages day by day, he asked David Lynch if the cowboy would appear again in the film. According to him, Lynch's answer was, I don't know. We'll find out together. (laughs) The cowboy does, in fact, turn up two more times, but appearing to Diane. When did the cowboy appear to Diane? I don't remember. I don't either. This movie was long. Yeah, it was. 
uh, as Rita and Betty get into a cab on their way to Club Silencio. A piece of paper is visible on the pole, on a pole that says, Hollywood is hell. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. <laughs> The film is dedicated to Jennifer Syme, a young actress whose story is startlingly similar to that of the character of Betty, but who in fact died after the bulk of the film was completed. And that's the trivia for this film. <laughs> Do you feel more uh, like you know it? what happened in the film? Well, I sort of... Okay, so I think I asked you at one point, is this like a movie within a movie type thing? Oh, yeah, you did talk about that. Um, which I guess in a way it kind of was. Um, and then I also started thinking that it was hell. So mm-hmm. that sort of goes with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. You got anything else to say about this movie? Oh, the wardrobe was awful. 2001 or whatever this was was a terrible time for fashion. Yeah. Um, it really was. Yeah, it was bad. The late '90s and the early 2000s. I mean, again, we're still working our way through Buffy. Yeah. Just oh my god, man! Awful. Just real bad. <laughs> real like ah, oh, did no one have sex between 1995 and 2005? Because I don't understand how people could. <laughs> oh my god. Well, you don't normally wear clothes. No, but like you need to see a person wearing clothes and looking good in those clothes so that you want to take the clothes off of them and stick your penis in them. (laughs) Oh, my God. But like nobody looked good. I mean, I'm sure at the time people thought they looked good. And now looking back on it, we're all like, ew. Um, Let's see. What else would I like to say about this movie? Uh, Oh, who was the big dude? Who came in after he walked in on his wife cheating on him with Billy Ray Cyrus. The big dude came in and she jumped on him and he's like, oh, he was the guy who was there to say that he didn't have money anymore. Yeah. Why did he not have money anymore? Was that because... For the film. He didn't have funding for the film. But I thought he cast who they wanted him to cast. Not yet. Because at the meeting he was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Which is... And why he ended up having to go see the cowboy. Because the cowboy was like, so you're going to cast the girl. Like, he told him exactly what he was going to say. Mm-hmm. He went to see the cowboy after he saw Billy Ray Cyrus stooping his wife. Yeah. Okay. Um, but was that not the the best reaction to... to Like, that whole scene was great. Him walking in on yeah. Billy Because Billy Ray Cyrus was just like, just forget about it, bro. Mm-hmm. It's going to be easier if you just walk walk away and forget about this. And his response is to go grab the most gaudy pink paint that he can find and just pour it all over his wife's jewelry. Mm-hmm. Brilliant move. Yeah, I don't was, know if you can. Good. I don't know if you can fix that. Does that ruin all of the jewelry? Probably depends on what type of jewelry it was. Like it might strip like the coating off of something if they use like paint thinner or whatever. Okay. But I think if she got to it before the paint dried, she'd be able to get it off pretty well. Okay. Um, but I was thinking, why the heck would they have that color paint in their garage? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, that's just another one of those David Lynch things mm-hmm. that like he, he just wanted pink paint. Mm-hmm. He just thought it would look good to have pink paint do it. Who, what, I guess, I mean, probably doesn't even matter to ask this. The, like the prostitute girl and those two guys when they came out of the diner, like, did we ever see them? I um, think that was the only time we saw them. 
I can't remember exactly what that whole thing was about. I don't either. He asked the girl, are there any new girls around? And she said no. Mm-hmm. That was like it. And then she asked for a cigarette and he spanked her and she got in the thing. Hmm. It was weird. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Well, so was this movie. Yeah. Um, so speaking with the pink paint, like I like things like that in movies that are just like like a weird quirk mm-hmm. or, you know, not even like a quirk, but just like a weird thing that's in there um because for the audience that just adds a whole bunch of other things like maybe you know he and his wife had gotten pregnant at one point and found out it was going to be a girl but then she lost the baby so that's why they had the pink paint and that's why that the relationship is strained because like that type of losing a baby's heart on a relationship so now she's stooping billy ray cyrus or maybe they do have a daughter who's just not or in the movie they and they're both neglecting yeah like so you like, just the fact that there's pink paint, even though ne- not necessarily intentional, like, it mm-hmm. just gives us so much more to think about and talk about with this movie. Yeah. Which, just about everything in this movie does, you mm-hmm. know? The two guys talking about the guy's nightmare, like, who are they? What's their relationship like? And you get certain things like that from the camera work, but the camera work, even in, in, in that scene, is really... There's lots of YouTube videos about it, because it's so... It's so particularly dreamy because they put it on this crane rig that was, like, bobbing the whole mm-hmm. time. Hmm. Yeah. It's a good movie. It was decent. It's a good little movie. hmm So, my lovely Katie wife. Yes. If you are stranded on oh, a desert God. island, mm-hmm. what three items from this movie would you take? I might take that key and box because apparently it can transport you somewhere else. Okay. Is that one or two key and box? That would be two. Two? Okay. Um, Oh, I would probably take... There weren't a lot of, like, objects in this movie. Like, significant things. I might take the pink paint and make the island pretty. (laughs) (laughs) I'd take uh, one of Laura Herring's boobs. Oh my god, every t- every opportunity they had, they had all the female boobs just like out in the open. There were there were quite a few boobs in this film. Mhm. Like poking through shirts, just shirtless. There are a lot of boobs in this movie. There were, there were quite a few boobs. And they strategically placed that one girl's sweater like open so that her boobs were pushed out and I don't know uh, if that was strategically. Now I've had a few busty girlfriends in my wife in my life not in my wife although no um and wearing certain hoodies and cardigans like that you know you only get zipped up oh i know cer- so i'm not, not saying they strategically i'm not saying david lynch was like no 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 laurie you gotta and then he like opened her shirt no i wasn't and, like, saying that behind her boob. no i wasn't saying that i just think that it was an interesting costume choice i, I mean that's the thing is that you noticed that more than i did i was mm-hmm. just like i'm trying to figure out what's going on in this movie and katie's like i need to see all the boobies <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't know where all the boobies are at <laughs> Where are these boobies at? Hmm, where are these boobies okay, at? Okay, this is really creepy. Um, strangely enough, more boobs in Mahalan Drive than in Zoolander 2. Why is that strangely? You would have assumed that in like the weird comedy with models, there would have been more boobs. I think it was like rated PG-13. There probably couldn't have been boobs. Oh, that's right. They used their one F-bomb really, really quick. Mm-hmm. 
it felt like a throwaway. It really did. I was going to look at you when that happened. I was like, why did he just say why, that? Yeah, why did you drop the F-bomb? That's uncharacteristic of <laughs> Zoolander. Um, who do you think would help you out of a jam first? Maybe. Hmm. Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> yep. Why? Because he's just so calm. He's like his uh, his lover's le- marriage is falling apart in front of his eyes, and he's just like, "It'll be okay. He's fine. He'll be fine." I, I think he would offer emotional support. Oh man, I'm surprised you didn't say Betty. Oh yeah, her Betty. whole point in the movie <laughs> was to help Rita out. Okay, fine, Betty. <laughs> Betty and Billy Ray. There. You just want to be on a desert island with Billy Ray Cyrus. Ew, he's disgusting. <laughs> early 2000s billy ray cyrus yeah he's all greasy and ugh. he didn't look greasy he did he looked pretty fit mm. no no um yeah that should be one of one of our one of our trivia questions who in this movie would you have sex with no no my answer would always be nobody oh oh yours wouldn't because <laughs> i'd play the game <laughs> I wouldn't use it as a, as a, as an opportunity to to leverage how good of a spouse I am. Okay. You got anything else to say about this movie? Or are we done here? Mm, I think you only asked me two trivia or two questions. Oh, what are some other ones? I don't remember. Um, if this was if this was a horror movie, <laughs> oh my God. who who would have died first? <clears throat> there weren't any black people, so it's it's hard to say. Um, and the busty person wasn't blonde, so like, there's really you're really going off book here. Probably the dude in the diner talking about his nightmare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because if it was a horror movie, the the big scary trash man would have just like eaten him or something. Yeah. They would have turned that into a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a short episode. Has it? Yeah, it's only been 50 minutes, but hmm. if that's all we got to say about it, you got any other particular scenes you want to ask me about or hmm. any other points you want to bring up? Do you want to talk about David Lynch's weird fetish for 50s stuff? Nah. Um, where did Aunt Ruth go? I feel like they said. They did say. But I don't remember what it was. Should we look it up? Sure. Should we look it up? Yeah. I'm just trying to, I'm like thinking back to that unlocking. Where did Aunt Ruth go in Maholland Drive? (laughs) In my Holland Drive. (laughs) Uh, There's a website called MaHollandDrive.net. .net. Maholland-drive.net. Look at this. Uh, okay. Oh my gosh. Let's go into this. Lynch's clue number 10. Where is Aunt Ruth? First, we need to... First, we... First, we see who we believe to be Aunt Ruth at 1612 Havenhurst, a well-dressed red-headed lady with a scarf on and a taxi driver helping her with her bags. Then, at the airport, while Betty is saying goodbye to the old couple who walk by the taxi zone a well-dressed red-headed lady with a scarf on and a man accompanying her carrying her bags Mm -hmm. are you gasping because you remember this or are you gasping 
because I had not even noticed. Yeah. And then at Santa, at Sierra Bonita, Betty and Rita watch a well-dressed red-headed lady w- with what appears to be a scarf around her with a man carrying her bags to a limo or town car. Um, geez, this is super small on my phone. There's a black hat in Aunt Ruth's bedroom. Is this part of a funeral outfit? Another clue to us that Diane's aunt is dead? Um, oh, so that redhead lady might not have been Aunt Ruth? I'm, who, who even knows? Uh, do, 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 do. This is a big, long article. <laughs> Holy cow. Jeez, Lou. This goes on. Uh, jeez. Oh, oh my god. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, so, searching for Aunt Ruth is a quest that Diane has been on since before she came to Hollywood. In fact, it probably started in earnest as things in her family fell apart after the abuse she went through. Aunt Ruth is her only notion of family anymore, as the picture of Aunt Ruth with Diane as she was a child in her fantasy seems to attest. As we see repeatedly, the Aunt Ruth of Diane's dreams never connects with Diane's various personas as though she is just out of reach, and this represents a tragic truth that she cannot escape, that their lives never came to overlap in Diane's adulthood. Aunt Ruth died before Diane made it to Hollywood, and without Aunt Ruth, Diane has been afraid and alone, unable to find the right path of her own. No, but the problem with that is that she calls Aunt Ruth during the movie, and the landlady talks to Aunt Ruth during the movie. Yeah, well, that's as Betty, not as Diane. This is positing that Diane is the like the true Naomi Watts, okay. and Betty is some sort of like doppelganger persona. That's a little bit too much for me. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Don't do that, guys. <laughs> Quit it. Quit it. It's it's not good. Wow. You interpret movies too much. Just enjoy them. Katie. Yes. What movie are we going to watch tomorrow? Tomorrow. Or, you know. Whenever. For the next episode. We're going to watch Catch Me If You Can. What is this? The Oscars? Are you cutting me off? What's going on here? So are we really watching that or is it Moonlight? No, we already watched Moonlight. Oscars joke. (laughs) Ha. No, we're watching Catch Me If You Can. Uh, it has several wonderful people in it. Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks. Same. Tom Same. Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio, Christopher Walken, Amy Adams. Wow. Mm-hmm. Amy Adams. Yep. She was in that movie. Arrival. In that other movie. She's also in Buffy. For one episode. For, for one episode, <laughs> yeah. That was weird. Yep. Was that like a cameo? Was she know. doing things at that time? Because like her name was in the opening. Yeah. Like, thing. I don't know. Like, she was somebody. Well, she was somebody. She was Amy Adams. You know what I mean. Somebody, like, worthwhile in the world of TV. (laughs) I don't know, dear. Whatever. Until next time, keep loving, keep watching, sharing, and keep sharing. Something. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye.